Well, good morning, Community Church. Good morning, Alma, and good morning to those of you online. Uh, we're so glad you're here today. Hope you had a, a great Christmas day yesterday, and uh, looking forward to hear what God has to say as we begin a new year next week. So I wanted to tell you a little story, and maybe you've experienced this before. When my wife and I have traveled, quite often you have these people that come up to you as soon as you land in a resort area, and they say, um, we will give you free tickets if, you ever been there, you know, if you'll go through this presentation, it'll only last an hour. And so we decided a long time ago that it's very easy to say no, but we want the tickets. All right, so we're willing to go through with it. I remember once where we sat down with this young man, and he told me that this would be the greatest thing I've ever done in my life, that if I would just buy this condo, and here were the terms of it, and he went all the way through it, took him about 45 minutes, and then my wife and I looked at each other, and he said, I'll give you time to think about it. We said, we don't need any time. <clears throat> we don't want to do it. He said, well, just a minute. Calls another guy over. You remember that guy? He comes in, and he sweetens the deal, although he reduces the number of days you're going to get. But he's got it cheaper now, and he said, I promise you, this is one of the best things you'll ever have. I said, well, I really appreciate your presentation. You're really good at this, but uh, no. So well, just a minute. And then the guy with the suit comes over. You know him. He sits down, pulls out his gold pen, and he just writes some figures down and turns it around to you. So that's it. That's what you need to do. But wait, I can give you more. And he adds a few more things to it. And he looked at us and we said, thank you so much. No. <laughs> and reluctantly, they gave us the tickets, even though he had assured me that I was passing up the best deal of my life. So this morning, I'm here to assure you of something. It comes from the scripture. It's the assurance of your salvation and the assurance, because but wait, there's more. The assurance that along with the assurance of your salvation, you are guaranteed communication with the God who saved you. What a great promise both to end a year and to begin a year. Listen to what John says in this first letter, still in the fifth chapter, the last time you're going to hear 1 John, unless you read it on your own. 1 John 5, 13 and 15. John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. That's the first assurance. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked of him. So there's a double assurance that's coming to us. It means there's two things that you need to know. The most complicated exam I ever had in seminary was in the book of Acts where we knew what the question was going to be and my four study partners and I got together. We were to trace the three missionary journeys of Paul through the book of Acts, tell every city he went to, every person he met, and everything he did. 
Yeah, it's a wow, I tell you. It took us two weeks of preparation. Each one of us would stand up on the area where we studied, we'd write it on the board. And then we'd stand without any notes and we'd tell it. And then we'd write it out for ourselves. So by the time I walked into the final exam, I knew that I knew that I knew it. I was assured of it. And I did. And all of us did exceptionally well on that quiz. Because I knew. Because of what I had done. Well, you have to flip that around when you're talking about your relationship with Jesus Christ. Because for me, there's nothing I did for him to be able to come to me and to change my life so radically. I didn't do anything. I wasn't this great person that he wanted to save. I wasn't a person of super education or wealth or status. I was just me. So how can I be assured if I can't know myself that I did it? Well, I'm assured because the Bible tells me that. That's why John is so instructive in this first little letter of his. Because he writes it in order for you to know that you have a Savior in Jesus Christ. I once asked one of my study partners, I said, how do you know you're saved, Kenny? He said, well, I was there when it happened. (laughs) I mean, that's assurance. Now, there's a better testimony, and hopefully there's some of you who have experienced that. It's the testimony of of my daughters. If you ask any one of them, when did you accept Christ? They'll say, I never knew a time that I didn't love him. You know, they didn't have that moment and date and time like I have. They have the better testimony. They've known him all their lives. Now, they've made recommitments and along the way. But God wants us to know. It's so important that you be assured of what he has done for you. Jesus makes the way. And if you haven't been saved, then it's so simple to get the process going. It took the greatest event in history, the most horrific event in history, to pave the way for us, and that was the cross that we will celebrate next Easter. But it began as we celebrated yesterday with the birth of a Savior. With the birth of Jesus who utterly finished all the work that was necessary. Now, apart from Christianity, from true Bible-believing, Jesus-centered people, there are a lot of people out there that say, well, there need to be more regulations. There need to be some kind of thoughts that you have to have or ways you have to live in order to secure your salvation. But the Bible says that's not the case. And I'm very excited about that. It doesn't mean that I should not try to live in respect to the Word of God and do the things that God requires of me But doing those is simply an obligation. It does not earn me anything. It says to God, I love you, Lord. And I'm willing to do the things that I enjoy doing for you, knowing that you love me. In spite of me, you love me anyway. Everything that comes against Christianity comes against the person of Jesus Christ. And so if you're going to stand for Jesus, you need to do it in a way that people will know 
who you are. Just yesterday, my wife and I went out to lunch for Christmas Day because we had a change in plans because one of our family members got the flu. Go figure. You know, is that happening today? And as we're sitting there, there was an elderly lady and their, her children, or son and his wife, and she said, so where are you from? You should never ask my wife a question. Because when you ask her a question, she's going to give you an answer. And so 45 minutes later, we discover that they are a brother and sister in Christ, and the elderly woman is also a follower of Christ. And we're just having this wonderful conversation, and we're talking about what it's going to be like when we see each other again, which may not be until glory. But this assurance of knowing it means that you need to be able to tell others that you know it. Not in a way that is offensive at all, but a way that is really exciting. And if you want to someday go to a restaurant and be surrounded by lots of people, and my wife says, so let's pray. And she doesn't pray with a soft voice. And we prayed over this couple and their family, and it was just a joyous moment And then we got the stairs as we left, the people looking at us like, you're weird, you're strange. Yes, we are, all right, because we are addicted to Jesus, and Jesus is good all the time. So I just want you to know, as you move into this next year, there may be a lot of things you can do to make him happy, but he's already saved you, and there's nothing you can do to lose that or to increase it, because he loves you. Be assured of that. That's just, that's an exciting thing to know. In those moments when I'm the most down and I look in the mirror and I say, I'm not worth saving and I hear this answer, you're right. (laughs) But then I think, but you said, and I start speaking his word back to him and I regain that confidence of knowing because it's not about me, it's all about him. And if it isn't, it ought to be. So be assured, be assured that you have salvation in him. The Spirit of God opened your eyes and helped you to see, and nothing can take it away. I want to leave you with three scriptures. Two of them we actually talked about at the Christmas Eve services. But in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, see if you remember this one. But as many as received him, to them he gave power to become children of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of man, nor the will of the flesh, but of God. That's, that's assurance. We were born in Christ because of what God did. Praise the Lord for that. Secondly, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Many of you know this one. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. What is the gift of God? Both the grace and the faith. He gave them both to you. Acts chapter 17 verse 28. For in him we live and we move and we have our being. Now full assurance is not necessary to salvation. But it is essential to satisfaction. Someone else said that. I I just love that. It's not essential to salvation. But it sure is to satisfaction. When I know that I know that I know that I've already passed the test because he gave me the test and gave me the answers. 
Now I have that confidence of knowing I can wake up every day knowing I'm a child of God. And I'm so thankful for that. What a joy to know that I'm going to spend eternity in his presence. But wait, there's another assurance that God gives us in that 14th verse of 1 John chapter 5. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. I'm old enough to remember the first cell phones. And I see some of you are too. Do you remember the bag and the big phone and the antenna that you had to put up? And I mean, it was a mess, wasn't it? And later, Verizon made the statement famous, can you hear me now? You know, can you hear me? Can you hear me now? And I still hear people doing that today, even with all the advancements. Because you see, communication is two-way. I need to be able to hear as well as speak. And what this promise from God is to us through the Apostle John is when you speak to God, God will hear you and God will answer you. If it were that simple, it'd be great. Our problem is waiting for the answer, isn't it? Or when the answer comes, that's not what I wanted. Because we're having a problem in our communication with God. Let me give you just three simple things about prayer. We're going to touch more on prayer next year. You know prayer is conversation with God. There's no perfect formula. There are no certain words you need to use. Years ago, that was the case. The, the orators would stand and they'd Wax eloquent, as it was said, with these big words. And, of course, everybody was afraid to pray. I can't pray like that man can pray. But listen, when I talk to my children or they talk to me, they use regular language. When I talk to my father in heaven, I talk in regular language, just like I'm speaking with you today. And I know he hears me. The neatest thing is, I know he already knows what I'm going to say, but he still wants me to say it. I know he knows when I've sinned, but he still wants me to confess it. You see, he's a loving father. So my prayer is conversation with him. I speak and I listen because I expect him to say something back to me. It may be a phrase from scripture that comes to my mind. It may be a person I should telephone. My wife has a high level of sensitivity to these things. She was praying the other day and she said, something is not right somewhere in our family. We need to pray. And we prayed. Just a few hours later, we received a phone call that our son-in-law has the flu. He's a doctor. He's on call. He still had to do surgeries with the flu. I would have said, get away from me, <laughs> you know. And, and she knew. So we were already praying for him before we heard that information. That's when you, when you pray a lot, you hear a lot. And when you're talking to God. The second thing is, prayer is also a way to praise God. It's a way to thank Him, to show how thankful you are for everything that He has done for you. As we come to the close of this calendar year, can you really look back at all the things that have taken place, good or bad, and give thanksgiving to God for who He is? That's what prayer consumes. It allows us to thank him, which shows that 
I am not trying to live on my own. I'm not self-sufficient. I need God in my life to help me. And God is both willing and able to meet all of my needs through Christ Jesus. Thirdly, prayer is an offering to God. So it's a conversation, it's praise, and it's an offering. I offer to him myself. And I say, I don't know how to do this. I can't guide myself in this direction. I need your help. I surrender so that I know God will come and help me. Now, listen to what a pastor said. He said, prayer springs out of the assurance of your salvation and your relationship with God. It's an exercise of the spiritual life. So prayer springs out of your salvation. It's impossible for us to understand, totally impossible, how God can hear everybody's prayers in this room at the same time. Well, put it into the real perspective, how he hears all prayers all the time from his children, all the time, all of them. I can't comprehend that. I'm not expected to comprehend that. But at least I know I'm included in it. So when I offer my prayers to him, I know that he has the infinite intelligence to separate mine from everyone else's, to see me, to know what my need is, and to meet my need. So I know then that I can speak with him, I can praise him, and I can offer myself to him. I doubt that what I've said is new to many of you, but it's the second part of the verse that usually causes us to stumble. And that is, if we ask anything according to his will. Why this limitation? Why are we limited by God? Well, the first is, the entire universe moves according to his plan. Everything. If he knows the sparrow that's hungry and can feed him, and he knows the number of hairs on most of the heads in here. Okay, if he knows to that level of intimacy the things about this world, then the whole world is his, and he is in control of the whole thing. Do you see the new telescope that just got sent up? It's going to go a million miles, and then it's going to look 13.5 trillion or billion light years into the past to see what they can find. <clears throat> Maybe God smiling, <laughs> you know, finally, here I am. <laughs> No, our God is, is so aware of everything all at the same time that any petition that is not in harmony with his will will not be answered. Right? So when I pray, if I'm praying for healing for someone, I don't have to add if it's in your will. You know why? Because God said uh, that we would be healed. By his stripes, we are healed. So when I pray for healing, I already know I'm in the realm of, of God's permissible activity. He may choose to heal or not heal, but that's based on his overall big plan where he works everything together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. So I trust that God's got control of everything. Nothing is out of his control. If one tiny thing is out of his control, we're all in trouble, but it's not. Secondly, how often have I prayed that things would change, and actually, if they had changed, those things would have been harmful to me. 
I would have been going in the wrong direction. I don't want God to answer my prayer simply because I'm offering it. I want it to be in conjunction with his will. I don't know the will of God except that which is expressed in the scriptures. So I'm driven to the scriptures to study the scriptures to know whether I'm in his will or not. But I don't want to pray amiss. I don't want to pray in the wrong direction. Because what if he answered that? So I want to stay inside of his will. Now even with those limitations, here's the beauty of the will. We have so much that we can pray for. That we already know is the will of God. We can pray for the salvation of people. We can pray for peace on the earth. We can pray for the homeless. We can pray for the sick. We can pray for those who don't have clothing. We can, we can do all the things that Jesus talks about in Matthew and that God talks about in Isaiah where he says this is what fasting is. It's when you're taking care of the people who are in need. We can pray for all of that. We can pray for those of our loved ones who are suffering or in pain over a loss of a loved one. We can pray for health, for strength. We can pray for jobs. I mean, you and I together could go on and on and on. So there's plenty to pray for. The question is, are you praying? If you knock at mercy's door without waiting for a reply, you insult the master from whom you ask the prayer. So when I go to prayer, when you go to prayer, and I ask God for something, I need to have the patience, which I should also ask for, to wait for his reply. I don't know how that reply is going to come, but I need to wait upon it. And I will keep knocking on his door until I am confident that I have received an answer. And I'm not going to question the answer because he knows so much more. He knows all things. And I know just a few things. So we have to learn how to wait upon the Lord. King David is probably one of the greatest biblical examples. In the 34th Psalm, I've pulled out two different sections of the scripture. So I want to read it to you and I want to make a couple of comments on it. The first section is really all about salvation that we talked about first this morning. Verses 4 through 8. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man, speaking of himself, called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all of his troubles. That's salvation. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. So there's our salvation. Now he's going to talk about how God answers prayer. So he's put our two topics together today in that assurance. Verses 15 to 22. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, 
but the Lord delivers him from the all, them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. Even in this, we have a hidden statement uh, that is messianic in nature. When Paul, um, I mean, when David writes and he says, he protects all of his bones, not one of them will be broken. That is evidence of Christ on the cross because normally they break the legs in order to extend uh, the, the body so that the suffocation takes place more quickly and the in, individual on the cross dies. But with Christ, they didn't have to do that, so not a bone was broken. But what is David saying here? David's saying, we have a God who hears every one of us when we talk to him. And when you are in Christ, when you have that salvation, you can trust God. You ask him, and he will deliver. One of the greatest authors on prayer that I've ever read is a man by the name of E.M. Bounds. And he said this, and I'm going to paraphrase it to make it a little more current. What the church needs today is not more or better machinery, not new organizations or more and more novel methods, but men and women who the Holy Spirit can use, men and women of prayer, men and women mighty in prayer, the Holy Spirit does not flow through methods, but through people. He does not speak from machinery, but from men and women. He does not anoint plans. He anoints people, people of prayer. That's why we need to be a people of prayer who have been saved. What happens when you keep praying and you keep asking Day after day after day, I'll tell you a story, true story. She's from Japan, born and raised there, was a Buddhist. Met a young man who was a powerful Christian man. They fell in love. They married. She told his family, Never speak to me about Jesus Christ. And he said, okay. For some reason, I don't understand it. His love for God was overwhelmed by his love for his new bride. They lived in Japan for 20 years. They raised two boys. And then they decided to make a change, and they moved to the west coast of the U.S., they made some purchases and started a new business. And she became very, very discouraged. So much so, she just didn't see how they were going to make it. She had so many fears in her life. Here's what she says, and I quote, I became overwhelmed with worries and fears about our sons and our future. I found myself unable to sleep many nights. Just being at home with nothing to do, I felt like I couldn't breathe any longer. So she said, I'm going to get a job. She didn't need to, but she found a job at a Japanese restaurant. Now, she had owned her own corporation in Japan, and it was a big one. So she knew how to run a business. And she said, I never realized what the food industry was. And I became, again, very discouraged, very upset. 
So the owner took me out one day. I had lunch with her. And she told me a story about God's miraculous work in the birth of a child. And then she told me about her Christian faith. Here's the girl's statement. Thanks to her words, I was able to understand things from a new angle. Long years of misunderstandings just melted away. A crack had appeared in the thick wall I had put up between myself and the Christian faith. And then the wall collapsed. She started attending a Japanese international church. A few weeks later, the pastor said, those who want to be saved from their situation, please stand. She said, I stood and I accepted Jesus. I realized that God had loved me from the very beginning and was taking care of me. Now, here comes the point of this whole thing and how it ties in to salvation and prayer. She says, I am so grateful to many of you because she's saying these words that I have read to you in front of the church just before she's baptized. I am so grateful to many of you at the church who have helped nurture my new faith and support me. And to my husband, listen to this, who has been praying for me for 28 years. It's been a long wait, but the day has come and I'm going to be baptized. I still not, cannot believe that the two of us are standing here like this together. I am so grateful to God. This man of God is my nephew. And it's just exciting that his wife is now in the flock. Why? Because he prayed for her for 28 years and never gave up. Loved her. His boys are believers. I mean, it's an exciting thing. Because when we pray, we are assured that we will hear from him. That he will give us the answer. Just don't stop praying. And we are assured because we are in the body of Christ. Because of what Christ has done for us. So as you start this new year, God wants you to become powerful witnesses of his. Pray. Pray without ceasing. Pray day and night. And get out there and just make the things happen that God wants to happen through you. And we'll be here for you. Start off 2022 with a bang. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are so faithful in how you heal. You are so um, just amazing that you, you love us so much. And you saved us. You've given us an avenue to grace where we can now depend on you totally. And I know, Lord, there are men and women sitting in this room today that have testimony to that very fact. And I pray that you would help them to share those testimonies because testimonies are used by you to change lives. So form us and shape us, Lord, into what you want us to be. And we will give you all the glory and the honor and the praise. In the matchless name of Jesus, we end this year and look forward to the new one. Amen.